I've got a couple things before we get started this morning. Uh, the first one is everybody's favorite show we talk about in church, money. Uh, but in a good way, actually. If you gave the element last year in a way that we could track, we have sent out all of our statements by end of January 31st of what you gave so you can write that off your taxes. Because, you know, it's not the government giving you money. It's your money the government took, and you're just getting some of it back. So we want to help you to get the most money back. So we, we send out the giving statements so you can write it off your taxes. We got a few of those back. So apparently some of our addresses are off. So if you gave money last year in a way we can track and you have not gotten that giving statement, on the Connect card, write that down. Say, I didn't get my giving statement and put your correct address so we can send it to you because we want you to keep your money. Or maybe you don't want it. I don't know. You can give it to us. We'll take it, all right? Because I want to give that. Okay, um... Got something to tell you about, and I always like to talk about this the first time we do one of these so nobody is all weirded out by it. Uh, we have men's activities that we do. On March 10th is the next men's activity, men's activity, and we are doing beer tasting. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny, but okay. <laughs> well, <it's>, oh. <laughs> so here's the deal. The, we're going to two places. We're going to Firestone, and we're going to Figaro, Figaro Mountain Brewing Company. At Firestone, we're leaving here at 1030 because we're going to go and eat lunch. Now, if you have lunch there, the tasting's free. They don't, and it's like, like five or six different beers. They don't give you the bottle. So it's like, woo, six beers, not in the next place. All right? They're, they're tasting, so you can figure out what they make and see if you like it. It's kind of like wine tasting, but it's beer tasting. So... There's that. And then we'll go to the Figure Out Mountain Brewing We're not here to get your slosh. We're here to hang out with other guys, drinks, you know, drink responsibly, and head to other places and be all. <laughs> you don't see that bottle of wine up here from last week, do you? Welcome to Element. If you are new. <laughs> and if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you get an app. It's called Uversion. Uh, download that. Click on Live. It'll bring us up to GPS. You will get all the sermon notes. And actually, that's why I had this on the front of this. If you have a smartphone, you have a QR reader on your smartphone. You barcode scan that, and it'll bring you to a page on your smartphone. You can actually sign up for that as well. Uh, okay, I got two other... No, one other... Two... One. One other thing. One other thing for you. Uh, if you are so inclined that you actually pray during the week, which we would hope you all would spend some time with God during the week, I have something I'd like you to pray for. Two things, actually. Number one, pray for Element. Uh, right now, we're in a, we're in a stage where, uh, you know, we're looking at what's going to happen with us in the next year or so, so we're trying to figure that out, uh, see where God wants us to go, because <laughs> it's very hard to find a place to move to when we're poor. So we're trying to figure that out. Also in that, uh, we, well, one of my friends, his name is Tim Petty. And they're at Crosspoint. And Crosspoint is actually shutting their doors at the end of March. And so what I would like you guys to do, if you think about it, I want you to pray for Tim and Steve, the two pastors over there right now. Pray for them uh, because they're going to be looking to, to move or you know, find a job. Doing. So I'd like you to pray for them. And i also like you to pray for their entire congregation. Because I will tell you, once you've been connected in a place for a while, sometimes it's very hard to find a new place and a new body to connect to. And we would like them to make sure they stay connected. So pray for their body and pray for Tim and Steve. That would be a great Thing. Why don't you guys stand with us, reading to God's Word? And I just bummed you all out. This is Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, and it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would begin to understand the 
the honor that you have made us with your hands and with your breath, but also the humbleness that should come from understanding that we were made from the earth, from the ground. And those two things would go hand in hand. So as we live our lives, we would realize it's about glorifying and honoring who you are with all that we are, and that you would gain much praise and honor and your fame would spread because of how we as your people live. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the book of Genesis. This is week seven. Yeah, I know, chapter 2, week 7, go us. Uh, you can open to Genesis chapter 2 because that's where we'll be. I'm going to do my best to get you through the entire chapter 2 today. For some, this will feel like deja vu if you came to Song of Solomon because we're going to hit it all in one day, but not as much as in depth, so don't freak out if you're like, I can't believe he says some of those things. I won't say a whole lot of those, maybe a couple, not a whole lot today. Today is uh, juicy fruit, not the gum, but juicy fruit, and a naked spouse, and no shame. As it should be. None of this, oh, don't look at me, I'm naked. And sometimes my wife says that, and I'm like, I got to look at something. <laughs> and it may as well be something I want to look at. So I'm looking at you. And she's like, stop it. You know, whatever. Okay, so here we go. Song of Solomon in one day. Uh, Genesis starts with Moses talking about how God creates everything, creates the heavens and the earth, and places man in the middle of that creation. Genesis 2 starts with Moses helping you understand all that's going on now on the earth, because he starts with the macro lens view, the 50 gazillion foot view, and now he focuses down on the micro lens to see what's going on upon the earth. Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So this is the last bit of poetry before you get to story and narrative and what it shows you is that the whole picture is now changing because throughout chapter one and up to here it keeps saying the heavens and the earth the heavens and the earth and at the end of verse four it says the earth and the heavens showing you that the perspective is changing now chapter two and three help explain the contrast that god's vision was for the entire world and what he made and then our human experience that we have today because the difference between what god created and meant to be before the fall and what it is now needs a bit of explanation so I'm going to give you two words as we go into this. The first word is called shalom. Shalom literally means peace. It means everything's in the right place at the right time, in the right space, in the right relationship. Everything is all right with you and God. It is literally like God's favor and blessing. This is how the earth was created, how man was to live in shalom, in peace with God. The second word is the word tov. This is the word we translate as good. This refers to everything good in its broadest sense altogether. It is everything that's beautiful, that which is attractive, that which is majestic, that which is useful, that which is profitable. All the things that are morally right are tov. Now, the question is, who gets to say what is tov and what is not tov? Yeah, you're in church. Easy question, all right? Just, God! They just throw it out. You're, you're right probably 99% of the time. Jesus! There's the other one. You're, you're there. Okay, we're good. It's God. That's, that's the answer. So how does the pristine shalom and tov and harmony between God and man and nature come to be what it is today? How are we to understand the harsh realities and sometimes hostile workings of nature? If men and women were to procreate, why does having kids hurt so bad? Like Bill Cosby says, taking your bottom lip and stretch it over the back of your head. You know, why does it hurt so bad? You know, if God created the human body, why does nakedness then cause us shame? In short, how is the existence of evil to be accounted for? And this is what Moses explains in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and it will take us three weeks to get through that, just warn you up front. In short, though, Moses will tell you that it's not the earth or creation that's evil, but evil is also not metaphysical. Evil is moral. It is humanly right. See, God gives humanity a vestige of free will, although God's will is always freer than ours. But that vestige of free will is only beneficial so far in how it is exercised in accordance with 
with God's divine will. In the abuse of the power God gave his people makes disaster inevitable and inescapable. And so we are people who constantly want to find, you know, shalom until we want to know the good and the peace in our lives. But unfortunately, we're always living in self-sufficiency and evil. And we need to learn how to truly understand what God's shalom and God's tov actually is. So here we go, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Now, just as we hit this, some of you may say, well, there's a difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Aha, contradiction. Some people have said that because they don't understand the Hebrew text. Chapter 2, you have to understand, is not cosmological like chapter 1 was. Chapter 2 is focusing now on the creation, the barren state after creation. It says, and there is no man to work the ground. Again, the context shows you that man is connected to God's creation. Our bond with the earth is also inescapable. It's an essential part of who we are. And a mist was going up from the land that was, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Again, in Genesis, rain is not seen as just merely a natural phenomenon. It's also seen as divine blessing from God. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, in chapter 1, nothing is said of what man is made from. Here you learn he's created from the earth. Uh, this is the word for clay or dust. The verb formed is used of how a potter makes pottery, of how a potter turns pottery into something that is useful. God molds and then he animates mankind. In Job chapter 10, verse 9, he says, Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Job 33, verse 6 says, Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. This whole idea that we must understand in Genesis is that it's meant to show you the glory of what God created man to be, but also the insignificance of man both coming together. Man enjoys a very special place in God's creation. We were made not just by words, but by his hands and by his breath. But we're also mere clay in the hands of our great potter. See, this is very important. It tells you that God made man. Again, evolutionary processes will tell you that the impersonal made the personal, that non-life makes life, that that which is purposeless makes that which then has purpose. Genesis says God made man. The living God makes life. A personal God makes persons with purpose. See, we have to understand how much we actually mean to God. God speaks all things into existence, and yet we are handcrafted. Handcrafted. It is not chance. It is God's decree. You are sacred. You bear his image, and God has great affection for you. We come from dust. We are very lowly, but we have God's breath breathed into us. And that should make us very humble as we understand that God has also given us very high honor. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Now, the word garden, it's, it's great because it's where we get our word paradise from. So when you ever heard the word paradise, it's actually referring to a garden. Imagine, imagine that. Now, Eden is a region. Uh, Eden isn't necessarily the garden. That's why it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So the first dwelling place of man, his first house, is this garden. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you read ancient tales, everyone's always looking for the tree of life. Where do I find the tree of life? I've got to go find the tree of life. It's the greatest quest. In Genesis, it tells you that the greatest thing is not search for the tree of life. It is relationship with God. That is what is central. Now, these two trees do take prominence in the next two chapters. Moses draws your attention there, so I want to show you these two trees. First one, the tree of life. 
This tells you human beings were made mortal, not immortal. We had the capacity to die. The only reason we stayed alive was faithful obedience to God. The point, God is the living God. If you separate yourself from him, you have separated yourself from the source of true and eternal life. And we don't know if it's one bite that all it took or it was a steady diet of this fruit, but man was made from perishable materials and he is mortal, but he has within his grasp immortality. Eat the tree of life and you will live. When they sin in Genesis 3, they're kicked out of the garden away from this tree. Revelation, symbolically, this tree then returns and in Christ, you and I forever have eternal life. The second tree is the knowledge of, tree of, the knowledge of good and evil. If you don't know good and evil, huge different perspectives all right, on viewing something good and evil. The tree, this is a tree that man has also sought after our entire lives. It's how we exclude God from our lives. I want to know good and evil. I want to make what's right and wrong. I want to make those decisions. I'll get educated. I don't need God. I don't get a whole lot of money. I don't need God. I'll just get loaded all the time, and I don't need God. This is all the information we try to find apart from God. Throughout the scriptures, wisdom and life is thinking in line and following God. Folly is thinking apart from him. So daily, Adam's given this opportunity to choose wisdom or folly, life or death, good or evil. Now, some people have said, well, why doesn't God want Adam and Eve to know good from evil? That's not what the text says. That's not what that means. Good and evil in Hebrew is two separate words. It's tovarah, tovarah. The only other place it occurs is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. It's referencing little children going into the promised land, and this is what God says. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. To not know good and evil simply means to be innocent innocent it's not stupid it's not naive it's just innocent as god wants us all to be in regard to sin some people they want to experience everything and know everything that's out there there are some things you simply don't need to know imagine this imagine if if you uh married the only person you have ever kissed and someone says well are they a good kisser how are you going to know if they're not what if you got married and had sex with only that person your entire life someone said well they're good in bed how would you know anything different because you only knew that person. I mean, there are some things we don't need to know. You don't need to know what a hangover feels like. You don't need to know what a drug addiction feels like. You don't need to know what an abortion feels like. We need to be people who trust God. It's like if I stood up here and I took a, a gallon of water and a gallon of antifreeze, and I said, drink the water, don't drink the antifreeze. Oh, but it's green and it's cool looking. I really want to drink the antifreeze. Drink the water, not the antifreeze. Well, it could be good. Drink the water, not the antifreeze. Well, you're just old and I went to college and I don't worry. I'm going to drink the antifreeze. This is what God says. He says, drink the water, not the antifreeze. I mean, you look in the garden. God gives Adam food, gives him great weather, gives him lots to eat. He's going to give him a naked woman. That, that's a good God, okay? It's a good God. God says, trust me, I know what you need. I know what you need. See, Adam, like us, has the ability to choose God every single day. Multiple times. I mean, we all have trees in our lives that we choose from. Are we going to lie? We're going to tell the truth. How you use the internet? You're going to use for good things or not so good things? Are you going to cheat to get ahead or you're going to tell the truth? Are you going to be lazy or are you going to be useful? Every day we face the same choice that Adam had. The question for us is how are we doing in those same choices? See, because it's not that God wants you to sin. He gives you dignity that he allows you to make a choice. And when we sin in our lives, it's not because of God. It's because of us. I mean, most of the destruction in our own life is because we choose to eat evil every single day. And we're going to come back to this idea at the end, but go with me because I've got to get you through the entire chapter. I promise. I'm good at my promises. Verse 10. 
A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Again, what a good God. Nice real estate. Most, I mean, you could probably do tournaments of, like, slay the other real estate agents to see who would want this listing today, right? Because they kill for this listing because it's awesome. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And I love this. And the gold of that land is good, as opposed to bad gold, right? And if, you, if you have a lot of gold and you think, well, I got bad gold, give it to Element. Okay, we'll take it. We're going to have to move at some point. You know, we don't make the distinction. Okay, so uh, Bedlam and Onyx Stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, throughout history, everybody's looking for this spot. I've got to find that place. You know why? Cheap cosmetic surgery. I'll just eat the tree of life, and I'll be good. It'll be wonderful. I'm going to save you some airfare and a whole lot of money. It's not there anymore. Post-flood, not there. Revelation tells you it's not there. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, which is what we talked about last week, and to keep it, to steward it, to use it rightly. And the Lord God commanded the man, and this is good, that God gives commands. He's not like somebody's like, hey, oh, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't really drink the antifreeze. You know, maybe you should uh, just not really have it. No, God's like, I am God. You are not. Don't eat that. I love that. Saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Romans 5 tells us disobedience from God causes death. And here God makes man free. He has a lie, can do anything he wants except eat from that tree. Disobey him. And today, this is the same thing that's true for us. The key to life for us is know what God has placed before you. And he placed before Adam and Eve everything, everything except disobedience to him. This is my Song of Solomon postscript right here. Genesis 2, 18 and 19. This is marriage, sex, and intimacy before everything goes bad, before sin. This is God's original intent. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. See, there's no sin in the world. Everything is good except that Adam is not meant to be alone. I tell you this all the time. Men are not all right on their own. When I met my wife, I had a mullet and MC hammer pants. Not good. I thought pastels were okay. <laughs> this is why guys will walk around in a t-shirt that says ding-dongs on it and think they're cool. Right? We need... I mean, guys, honestly, if, don't raise your hands, but if you struggle with self-control, you need to grow up. You need to get married. You need to focus on your spouse and love her. I think one of the reasons Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet in the scriptures is that he never was never allowed to get married. I mean, he says, I, he says, it's not good the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is the Hebrew word ezer. This is a fitting helper, one that corresponds to Adam's humanity. None of the other animals created were like Adam. Nothing complemented his nature. Nothing connected and completed him like the woman. A man is not a corresponding helper for a man. Dudes get together. It's like, hey, eat that. Hey, let's run over that. Hey, let's blow that up. Guys are not fitting helpers for each other. It was God's intent. A man and a woman correspond to help each other. Fitting helper. This means fit okay if you're into comic con and you think george lucas is a genius for some bizarre reason okay and you think oh yeah then that means if you're a guy you don't marry the head cheerleader who likes to go you know shoe shopping and drink malos if you're the girls into that you don't marry like the jock you marry someone who likes what you like and if you like to go camping marry someone who likes to go camping not someone who thinks that getting in a sleeping bag is pre-packaging food for the bears <laughs> second one helper 
Helper, this is a great, great word, helper. People hear the word helper and they go, oh, that's just sexist, helper. Seriously? Seriously? I'll, I'll tell you, our culture does not know how to name things today. I mean, because what we do is we'll treat women with the value of a rental car. Guys will take them out for an expensive dinner, be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, and then drop them back off after they get what they wanted and go high-five all their buddies. I drove that around the parking lot a few times. Woo! Right? This is terrible. When the scriptures use the word helper, that is a beautiful term. God actually calls himself helper. His Holy Spirit is called the helper. That's not a term of denigration. Ladies, you need to stop letting guys do that because that is not being a helper. Now, women, don't raise your hands or throw things at me when I say this, but don't raise, just think about this. Who believes a wife should submit to her husband? Okay? Right? Most women don't even know what that means. Most guys, know, most guys think that's, oh, woman, make me a sandwich. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. Submissive literally becomes helpful. I'll talk to married couples in my office, and some dude gets a crazy scheme, and they run with it, and they totally destroy their lives. I look at the lady, and I say, you know, what did you think about that? Well, I thought it was a dumb idea. Well, why don't you say something? Well, I was being submissive. That's not submissive, okay? That's not submission. Ladies, your guys need help. Look at them get dressed in the morning, right? They need some help. You are there not to beat, not to berate, not to nag, but to help. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have lack of, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. I mean, honestly, there are lots of you guys who need to learn how to bring good into your homes and not be obnoxious. But there's a lot of you ladies, too, who need to learn how to bring good into your home and not just be obnoxious. Sometimes that means you get in your guy's face, but you do it respectfully, with honor, helpful. Guys, if you are not married, you want to find a woman who loves reading the Bible, loves God. That's helpful. When I have decisions to make, you know who I run them by? My wife. I talk to my wife about everything that I do. Sometimes people will come to my office and they say, well, I'm going to tell you this, but you can't tell anybody. And I usually tell them I can't make you that promise because I talk to my wife about everything. If there's something I feel like that she needs to know, I will talk to her because I run everything by her. I mean, I believe men should lead their families, should lead their lives well. But apart from the wives that God gives us, it's very difficult because we're not complete without them. I trust my wife more than anybody. And I told you this before, but if someone like rounded all of you up and stuck a bomb in the middle of you and said either they're all going to die or your, or your wife dies, you better kiss your butt goodbye. Because you're going. She's safe every single time. I mean, I cannot do or be anything without who she is. So God's going to make a helper suitable for him. Girls, that means help. It doesn't mean fix. It doesn't mean you find a guy, but he's got a drug addiction and lives in a tent. All right? That's not... Helping, that is trying to fix. Helping is finding a godly guy, loves Jesus, has gone as far as he can and needs you to go farther. It means that you, as a woman, love Jesus, but you've gone kind of as far as you can. And the two of you need to come together to follow Christ together and grow closer together. Verse 18, I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So, God gives Adam work to do. This is important for where it's going before he meets his suitable helper. He's tending the garden. He's taking care of the garden. He's naming everything. Adam starts out of his job. I think he's just going you know, to the wall with that. You see Adam, he is a fully formed man doing his job. He is intelligent. He is not a missing link with no pants and a club in his hand and his fingers are going, goat! Okay? That's not what he's doing. Fully formed. He has language. He classifies animals. This is beginning of science. This is genus and species. And this isn't every animal. This is three categories, livestock, birds, and beasts. 
Now, from an ancient biblical perspective, naming goat, this is the whole idea of the process of Adam is taking responsibility for the creation that God has placed underneath him. This is why he names things. He's supposed to steward these things. It's why if you have a child, you name that child. You get a pet. You give the pet a name because you take care of it. Some of you are weird and you name your cars or your baseball bats or whatever, but you name those things. God has him name these creatures so Adam will understand the vibrancy of all of creation is underneath his stewardship and care. God is reinforcing in Adam the trust that is placed upon him. And he can love creation or he can destroy creation in the decisions he makes and how he manages this. And I think when Adam does this, he notices something, that there are two of every kind of animal. And he probably begins to look for someone that looks like him, but it's just a little bit different, and he did probably know what that looks like. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. See, this is important because God knows this. He knows this. This is why he has Adam foresee the need, and then he provides for the need. Many times in your lives, God will have you foresee the need before he provides for it. They'll be like, God, I know what's going on. God's like, good, now you see it. Now you can trust me, and I will bring good things into your life. Because there is nothing that is going to correspond to the man like this woman. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. I don't think that's funny because it seems like when God wants something done right the first time, it just gets the man out of the way. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So while Adam's sleeping, God takes out a rib, fashions a helper fit for him. The word that's used for made for the woman there in Genesis narrative, it translates as built. It is the only time in the creation narrative that that word is used. It means that the woman God's going to create is going to be unique, one of a kind, made from Adam's rib, yet distinct to be his helper. This is important that the woman comes from his side. She doesn't come from his head, which is feminism to rule over him. She doesn't come from his feet, like chauvinism to rule over her. It's from his side to be his equal. An ancient Jewish commentary on Genesis in the Midrash says this, Whoever has no wife exists without goodness, without helpmate, without joy, without blessing, without atonement, without well-being, without full life. Indeed, such a one reduces the representation of the divine image on earth. Wow. Think of how Judaism originally saw the idea of marriage. It's huge. Now, it doesn't mean if you're single, you've got to run out and find somebody to get married tomorrow. That's not what it's saying. You need to take some time to get to know somebody. But the point here is who made the woman? God. God makes the woman, and he takes her like the father down the aisle to give her to the man. He officiates this first wedding ceremony. And then Adam speaks to Eve. And, guys, it's very, very important how you speak to your women. Very important. I mean, Eve at this point, she's had a big day. Okay, she got made. She met God. She's naked. She walks down the aisle, meets her husband, and gets married. All in one day. That's a big day day all right just a big day and so what does adam do he sings to her he sings to her and for some reason ever since women like guys who will play music i mean you can have track marks and live in a tent and be illiterate it's like oh he's taking me a song i love him i mean just just crazy crazy stuff in hebrew this is a love song the first recorded words of human speech in the scriptures are song verse 23 then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man the literal hebrew rendering is this is this one at last shows you that adam noticed all the other animals and that there were two kinds of all these animals but he didn't find that one that was supposed to be for him and here he finally finds her this one at last as opposed to all the other animals adam has found his right soulmate at last man and woman both in the image of god 
both with a purpose, both suitable and helpers to each other. Adam cannot separate his necessity for Eve any more than he separates his own bones from his own flesh. This is why it says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then Adam does something amazing. Adam names her. He names her woman, which is the word Asha. Now, Adam promises before God and the woman to forever take care of her. He gives her the name Asha. Man is Ish, so it's Ish and Asha. He gives her a name that's derived from his own name, therefore acknowledging her to be his equal. Again, Christianity is the only thing that teaches us that men and women are equal because of creation. Now, guys, I, I want to hit this really quick here. And, men, you've got to understand something, that when you get married, your standard of beauty is always your wife. I saw this thing where Mark Driscoll was talking about this week, and he goes, he goes you know, God doesn't go up to Adam. He doesn't go, hey, uh, you know, what do you want? You want uh, Asian? You want Latin? You want a white chick? You know, you want uh, blonde hair? You want brunette? You want red? What do you want, Adam? Well, God does he gives Adam a wife. He says, here's your wife. This is who you love. This is who you are connected to. Guys, your standard of beauty is always meant to be your wife, period. If you married a brunette, that means you like a brunette. Not like brunettes. You like a brunette. If you like tall, if you married tall, you like tall. If you married short, you like short. If she once was tall and something happened, I don't know, she shrank, you know what? Then it changes and you like short, whatever, whatever that is. When I am 80 years old, my standard of beauty will be an 80-year-old woman standing next to me called Marianne. I mean, too many guys, you're always running around trying to do the wife of the imagination. Oh, when I get married, I got my list. Okay, I want someone who's read the book, How to Make Love Like a Porn Star. She needs to be Latin. She needs to learn how to make food and be a great chef. She needs to how to dance on a steel pole. Okay, two things in this. Number one, okay, she doesn't exist. Number two, if she did, she's got better options than you. What you need to stop doing is stop looking at girls on the internet. They're not real. They're not real. I mean, sometimes God places the woman for you right in front of you. Not literally. Don't tap the girl in front of you. Hey, he said, you and me. You know. <laughs> Doesn't do that. You know, but stop chasing an unrealistic standard and embrace those who God has placed around you. See, men and women are incomplete. In the Hebrew context, men and women can't even properly live, love, or even worship God till we live as one flesh understand this so moses makes this commentary on what happened verse 24 therefore meaning because of all this the niv actually says for this reason what reason a wife therefore a man shall leave his father and mother this is so important a man leaves his father and mother ladies if you got a guy that's like it's my mom and you you're my number ones run okay run you jesus then you that's how it works mom over here somewhere not it's like oh my mom she's the greatest like yeah, you, you don't need that. Leaves his father and mother. He gets a job. He, he gets a, a life, a place to live, a church to worship at, a faith that can lead and love and guide his spouse. Most guys, classic underachievers until they meet their spouse. And then they start to man up. I mean, because you don't want to think... She, when I met Marianne, she was a school teacher. I was working at a gas station. And I went, dear God, I got to man up. I got to start doing something. And so I did. I started to try and change for you. I mean, ladies, if you didn't settle, our society would be completely different today. If you didn't give yourself to all these crazy guys and you said, you know, you need to man up, the guys would actually begin to change and be different. Don't settle. Make him move out of his parents' house. Don't say things like, oh, well, it's hard today. If he loves you, he will get ten jobs. He will get, I mean, he will, he will live on Red Bull and crack and maybe even sell a kidney on the side. All right? <laughs> he, will, he will find a way to make it. He will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's a euphemism for marriage. That means, ladies, you don't marry a boy hoping he turns into a man. You make him man up and be a man, and then you marry him. Same thing, guys, not a little girl. You want to marry a woman. You want to marry a woman. Leaves his father and mother, holds fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and that is sex. And we are for it. I mean, element, God, is pro-fruit, pro-naked married people. 
married people. Okay, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is God's intent. That's God's intent. Marriage, yet equal, created different. Men and women have different roles to play. But the problem today is almost nobody obeys this process anymore. Because Moses shows us as threefold. You grow up, you get married, you have sex. Moses says it. Jesus reiterates it. The apostle Paul says it. Those are big guns in the Bible if you don't know. You've got the prophets and the epistles and the incarnate God in the flesh. It says, grow up, get married, then have sex. Little boys, they just want to have sex. That's the tree of death, eating from it all day long, falling wrong and evil. Because I'll tell you, most guys, Christian and non-Christian, we got the same goal, naked woman, all right? The same goal. But the difference is a Christian guy should do it biblically so he can eat from the tree of life. Godless guys are always trying to subvert God and pick from the tree of death. Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. See, when we try to go around God's promises, you will not be able to experience what God has promised. In verse 25, that the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This is what we as element want for you. We don't want you to have to be ashamed. And this means you get married. It, it doesn't mean, oh, we're married in our hearts before God. That is not what it means. It means married. Here, statistically speaking, true stat right here. People who are virgins who get married stay married and have more and better sex than people who live together before they get married. You know what that tells you? It tells you that God has always told the truth, and our culture seems to always want to lie to us. God has always told the truth. God made men and women to be one flesh. It's about the intimacy above the sex. Sex outside of marriage is two people using each other. The word for one flesh here, the man and woman becoming one flesh, is the same word God uses for himself in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, meaning the triune God is one God. This is the same word used for man and woman becoming one flesh. It's the only thing that satisfies people is the tree of life, is obedience, trusting God to be the God that brings us good things. In our culture, it's terrible. We keep eating the tree of death, hoping we're going to get life from it, and we never do. Guys and girls shack up. Their lives get ruined. I mean, look, I love you. I love you, and this is, this is why I tell you these things. This is a huge issue today. Statistically, if you are not married in this room, 93% of you will get married. And some of you have created huge problems by having huge sexual sin in your life. And you're either mad at me for talking about it, or you're ashamed of what you've done. And I'll tell you, in Christ, none of those things should ever be. None of those things. Because Jesus, at Element, we want you to get married, to fall in love. Well, fall in love and then get married, right? And then, and then find all your desires in your maid. For you not to have to feel shame. This is what God wants. Because we have all in our lives taken from the tree of death, not just in sexual ways, but in all kinds of ways in our everyday life. And the beauty is that God, our great Savior, comes and longs to restore us. Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises from the dead, takes all of our shame upon himself. He conquers our enemies of Satan's sin and death. And he invites us to be a people who eat from the tree of life and not from the tree of death, to stop partaking in the way of death and start eating from God's life. To trust what he gives us from his hand is actually good things. And we do not need to find ways to go around him. We simply find, need to find ways to trust him and do things in his timing. See, if you are in this room, and again, if you are mad at me, don't be mad at me. If you feel a lot of shame, don't feel shame. The purpose and point of the cross and the resurrection is for you and I to be a people who can live in the fullness and the freeness of life as Adam was intended to live. This idea that, that we are full and we are free and our God is good. 
and takes away our shame and offers us righteousness so that we can actually begin to live the life he calls us to, the life that actually glorifies and honors him and the life where we actually get to live the goodness that he has promised us. That is a great and a good God who knows how to bring good things to you and I. And this morning, if you have prayer requests for anything, for anything, especially in regard to what we talked about this morning, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And I would encourage you to go and pray and talk to them. Because, again, the issue is not about shaming you. I mean, guilt may be in there and it may drive you to Christ. And that's an okay thing, but you're not supposed to live in that place of shame and guilt. You're supposed to live in the place of freedom where your life has great strength so that you can live honoring who God has called you and I to be. The band's going to come up. They will do a couple songs, and as they do these songs, we invite you to take communion. Communion is a beautiful place. It reminds us of our great God who came as Jesus Christ and died and rose for us. It's why you break that cracker like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I so we can be a people who do not have to live in shame, a people who can actually live in true life being restored to who God meant for us to be. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the very back, and God gives to, and we give because God gives so much to us, so giving is simply part of our worship of Him. Uh, there'll be some food and stuff in the back, no broccoli, promise. And you can meet some other people and maybe start, <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> and maybe meet some other people and, and start some conversations where people can help you in living this life. I mean, Adam was there just to do it alone. Adam had God, he had Eve. Doing this together, we are meant to do our Christian lives as a family, walking and working together. And so this is why we try and get you guys connected every single week here. Our God is good, and he is great, and he is gracious, and he has redeemed us. And sometimes we forget how great that redemption is, to pull us away from our shame or our anger or whatever it is, and help us to walk in the newness and the freshness of life, trusting him for what comes from his hands, because he simply is a great and a good God. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for being a great and a good Savior to us. And I ask that we'd actually understand what that means more and more day by day. Father, we ask that you would stir in our hearts a passion for you. And we begin to live in such a way that, you know, the world can't explain it and we can't even explain it because it is so much of your strength and your hope and your goodness living in and through us. Father, we ask that you would mold us and make us more and more like you into people who properly reflect you, who live in goodness and grace and lay all the ways that we keep trying to eat of death aside and learn how to partake of life, of you and your great grace to us that people would see something different in how your children actually live their lives and that other people want to then partake of life as well. Father, I ask that you would teach us so that we would understand the great conviction that life brings, the great hope and the ability to leave all of our shame behind us as we live and walk in your wonderful life. Daily, teach us to remember to live in obedience to who you are and who you've called us to. As you are our great God who sees us through all things. We love you. Have us live lives that reflect that love properly. 
We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.